This is the Commonwealth City Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. Commonwealth is a church in Lexington, Kentucky. For more info, visit our website at commonwealthcitychurch.com and follow us on Instagram at comcitychurch. We hope you enjoy the message. Now I'm ready to dive into Psalm, the one big verse today, Psalm 23, um, verse 5. You've read this verse before. In fact, if, if you know anything about this text, we've been in this text for a number of weeks now. Um, you know that this is a beautiful chapter in the Bible. In fact, I would argue that it's probably the most quoted or memorized chapter in its whole entirety in the entire Bible. I remember seeing this ver- these verses um, everywhere you look. In fact, to the place that you see it most commonly, or at least I've seen it most commonly in my history, uh, has been usually at funeral homes. I see Psalm 23. Am I right, Tom? Psalm 23, always. And, and sometimes, depending on the age of the funeral home, you'll see it with like modern print or you'll see like cross-stitched by a grandma. You know what I'm saying? Like you get each option coming in to the funeral home. A lot of times, maybe on the back of the little obituary pamphlets, you'll see it as well. And, and for me, I remember hearing this text the first time really, <coughs> excuse me, when my grandfather passed away when I was five years old and, and being reminded of the journey the shepherd goes, goes with us and for us. And so we know that there's this, this, this beautiful text that talks about God being our shepherd. But something changes in the imagery of this psalm right here in verse 5. We are aware in verse 4 that David, or really any of the readers that might read this, are very much in this moment of the valley of the shadow of death, as Adam preached for us, last week. And they are accompanied by the shepherd, led by the shepherd, in fact, rod and staff equipped as they journey through. But then they arrive in verse five, a kind of a surprising destination. Now, if you're anything like me, I open my Bible and my Bible has the chapters and verses. It also has these subtitles and italics over each number, uh, sometimes through the chapters. And, And just to let you know, like King David did not write the subtitle, the Lord is my shepherd. We've added that to the text throughout the whole Bible, wasn't the original authors. They've added those subtitles later in production as a reference point. Okay, those, aren't, those subtitles aren't supposed to be like divine, spiritually inspired, Holy Spirit inspired little phrases. These are references for us. And if your Bible is anything like mine, yours probably reads, the Lord is my shepherd, right b- below, right above Psalm 23. That's a really common reference to this psalm. However, as I studied this chapter, as I've read some common commentators on this chapter, uh, I've come across many who reference this chapter, not only as the Lord is my shepherd, but also as the Lord is my host. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, that Jesus not only shepherds us, but Jesus hosts us in his presence. Could this be a shepherd giving this meal? I mean, yeah, technically it could be. You know, now if you think about the makeup of a shepherd, um, most of their meals are going to be like, this is going to be like, you know, first century fast food, right? Like maybe not, this is going to be such a dad joke. I should have done this last week, but maybe not McDonald's, but McDavid's, right? Ha ha, pa ha, ba da, ching. Okay, right. It's going to be like on the go, convenient, fast food. They're shepherding. They're constantly nomadic. They're constantly in the move. And that's kind of the meal that you could imagine that a shepherd would have. Um, this is not that. In fact, I've, as I've researched this stuff, I've, I've been convinced that David didn't write this psalm from the field. He wrote it from the palace. Because this turn in Psalm 23, 5 says that David had experienced both 
with his rod and his staff and leading sheep beside still waters and <coughs> leading people, leading them in paths. But he also knew what great banquets were. He knew what great feasts of royalty were because David, in fact, was the king. And so David uses this imagery of the one offering the meal being a royal host, not a shepherd on the go. Um, these final two verses really point us that it wasn't the field but the palace that David probably penned this phrase. And so the metaphor switches here. The Lord is my shepherd. Why? Because even though, even though seeing and knowing the Lord is your shepherd and you as a sheep is good and profound, it's not sufficient in and of itself. We have to also see the Lord not only as our shepherd, our loving shepherd, but also as our host. And what does our host do? He prepares a table for us. He prepares a table for us. The, the word prepare, if you were to get in and dig around in the Hebrew language, is, is really to use an expertise to arrange. This is not a haphazard preparation. Now, some of you guys have, have you know, had an event on your calendar or whatnot, and you're going to have people over at your house, you're going to host, you're, you're going to invite friends in, and then life happens somewhere between you scheduling that event and those people actually coming over, right? You're battling like ear infections in your kids. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. You've got an ant invasion on one, side of the, on one side of the room. You're like spraying stuff down here or there. And the next thing you know, the person that walks into your house doesn't walk into this glamorous, perfect production, you know, perfectly laid out scenario. They walk into a place where people live, right? Do you, anybody with me on that? Like your idea of this is going to be some grand moment of hospitality gets sidetracked somewhere along the way that you've got kids to take care of, a dog that makes a mess, uh, and you know, all these other things that can, can happen as people come to their house, right? You with me? These things can get in the way of hosting. However, there are probably moments that you've been to or meals that you've had or participated in that are the exact opposite of that. In fact, they're almost so formal that you don't know what to do. You know, like I know that on the couple of occasions I've been to pretty formal events or pretty formal weddings or, or whatnot, and it's kind of like I'm, I'm uncomfortably out of place, right? It's like I'm channeling, they don't even teach this stuff anymore, but I'm channeling Miss Etherington, my eighth grade home act teacher, talking to me about going from the outside fork in and the bread plate and all these different things that exist. And, and, and I can be overwhelmed in the formality of these, these, these moments of, of you know, dining or, or, or hospitality. It can be a little overwhelming. When we think about the Lord preparing for us a table, this ain't some haphazard, he's like got, you know, hot shot, ant killer in one hand, pizza in the other, like throwing it together. This is a, you have been invited to sit at a table that is exquisitely and perfectly ordered and prepared. And he does so how? In the presence of your enemies. Now the word enemy commonly used in the Old Testament uh, is the word ayab. And, and it's used 282 times in the Old Testament for the word enemy. The most, second most common word in the Old Testament for the word use of enemy or adversary is the word hasatan, which is how you actually get, this is going to blow your mind, hasatan is the Satan. Okay, so Satan is known as God's adversary. You see it really in the book of Job where it's a capital S, Satan, where God is having a conversation with the Satan that shows up, Hasatan, the adversary. Both of those words are the common usage for enemy in the Old Testament. And yet that is not what David uses here. He uses the word sarar. And it doesn't just mean enemy like bad guy or villain. It means affliction, suffering, trouble, or opposition. So in the face of affliction, trouble, um, 
opposition or suffering, the Lord prepares a table for us. It's the exact same word that he uses in Psalm 31. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in trouble or distress. It's the exact same word. And this has the imagery of this huge banquet. The difference is it's a huge banquet for one person. It's not a huge banquet for the enemies. It's not a huge banquet for any additional people. So the Lord prepares a table for me. He uses expertise in his arrangement in the presence of my suffering. Now I want to be clear. You've got to keep in mind, we're, valley of, you know, we're journeying through the valley of the shadow of, shadow of death. I think sometimes we view our intimacy with the Father like a marathon runner goes to the table to get a carb load, like a protein bar, maybe a candy bar, and a shot of water. Like, we want to do this in motion. This is for our nutrition. This is for our convenience. And that is not at all what King David is writing here. He's saying this, don't treat don't treat intimacy with the Father as something that happens on the go. Treat it as something that's worth pausing and celebrating. In fact, it would be an, uh, a man of war. So we're talking about these enemies, this opposition that's a- around David in this, or around the one that's being led through the valley of the shadow of death. A, a-, a-, a military man eats hastily. I don't know if you've ever had an MRE. Uh, if you've ever seen one of those before, a military guy eats hastily. They eat quickly. They, they eat because every moment that they're eating is a moment that they're not in combat. And that's not at all what the Lord expects for us. Stay on guard. Be, un, be ready to go. Be in combat. In fact, he does the exact opposite. Charles Spurgeon would say it this way about dining or spending time with the Lord. He would say, nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table. And the Christian, they sit down and eat as if everything were in perfect peace. Oh, the peace which Jehovah gives to his people, even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. What else does he do in verse 23? He says, he anoints my head with oil. Now, I've heard this talked about before from the analogy again, the metaphor of a shepherd. That a shepherd would anoint a, a sheep's head with oil and it would work as like a, an insect repellent. It would also work as, as like a, a way to, to mend or to maintenance any wounds or anything. So, and listen, that is a completely fine analogy if you're describing a shepherd. But if you're describing a host, we feel like we are here at Psalm 23.5. That the analogy of anointing your head with oil is something that is uh, done for an important person as they've come in on a long journey. It's, it's, you know, we don't use oil as much in, in our society unless, you know, we have the diffuser. That's about all we've got, right? Like, we don't use that as much. Um, but, but oil in this time period would have been a fragrance or almost a perfume. Like, think, if you will, of the woman in the stories of the Gospels that took uh, this bottle, this alabaster jar full of perfume and poured it all on Jesus' feet. And the people were talking about how wasteful she was. And he was like, no, this is, she's the only one that's getting it right. She's using all this to glorify the person that deserves it. It's that same kind of principle. You anointed my head with oil. You covered me in fragrance. You made me a honored guest. And then lastly, my cup overflows. My cup overflows. You can learn a lot about the status of a cup. Um, if you've ever been to a restaurant and lingered a little too long, I don't know if you've done I did this with Trey just the other day. We were, we were hanging out at a, a restaurant on, thir- on Wednesday, and we were talking. He's been over to the Middle East and to Europe, and I had been on vacation, and we were coming back together and kind of talking about everything. And the first hour included talking around our food, and the second hour included just sitting there in the booth. 
And the waitress initially filled up our drinks all the way. And then the next time she filled them like three-fourths the way up. And the last time it's kind of like, bro, I got to get tipped here again. You know, like it's time to get up. Do you guys, you sure you don't need anything else? You know, like barely pouring water into our cups. Like you can tell a lot, like there's a lot of communication that happens around a table. And, and even more commonly in this era, if someone came into my house and they weren't a welcome guest, well, you wouldn't fill their cup the whole way. It would be like a way of saying, ah, you know, do what you have to do, but you're not welcome to stay here and definitely not to linger. But if somebody was a welcome guest, you would fill their cup to the top if not even overflowing. Um, the same author, the same uh, man that I just quoted, Charles Spurgeon, he, he said in, in a, his commentary, The Treasury of David over the Psalms, he, he said this. He said, if your cup were filled to the level of faith you possessed, how, high, how, how far would it be filled? But praise God, Jesus doesn't fill our cup based on the level of faith we possess. He fills our cup based on the level of faith he gives us. And the amount of grace he bestows upon us. Like there are days that I would have a cup full of faith in God. And there are days, there are days, like even as, your, as one of your pastors, that I'm honest enough to say, like there are days that my faith wanes and struggles. And I need to be reminded that there's a table prepared for me in the face of that. That fills my cup, not based on the merit of my faithfulness, but fills my cup based on the merit of his. Now I want to zoom out a little bit and take this whole analogy into focus. I am somebody that loves hosting people and I love to cook. Um, in fact, somewhere in my bachelor days, I decided that I wasn't going to just settle with, you know, um, the hungry man meals that you pop in the microwave. Like I was going to try to kick it up a notch. And, and I don't know if, if Food Network just became the place that I landed, but I just really have, have loved to learn to cook. And I'm not, I'm not like a professional chef or anything like that, but, but I love treating people with a lot of intentionality and a lot of preparation in meals that I make. And, and listen, if you are looking to make a good meal, it takes time. Sometimes it takes even days. In fact, like if you were to, if you can learn things about people by their Instagram follows, like it seems like half the people I follow on Instagram are like home chefs and whatnot. And people are like dry aging meat and doing all this stuff. Like if you're going to dry age a steak for a hundred days, guess what? That means you can't do it in a single moment. You can't just decide, snap your fingers and be like, I want to have a hundred day dry aged steak for my friends to come over. Like this takes time and preparation. And, and the reality is at the end of those endeavors, whether it's marinating something or preparing something or growing something or harvesting something, I love that the guests at my table get to experience something excellent. And I labor over that. I labor over that. And I think this gives us a great insight into this psalm. And here's why. Here's why. Because the Lord is preparing a table for you that you've not even arrived at yet. The Lord's preparing a table for you that you've not even arrived at yet. And I don't say that in doom or gloom of like, oh, you know, doomsday, like hard times are coming. Even though the Bible does say that, and we'll get there at the end of this. I say that for you to know that there is not a season before you, no matter how good it is or how difficult it is that he is absent preparing a table for you to experience him in his fullness. In fact, if you read this Psalm, you see the, this, the journey of you not wanting, you being led into restoration and rest, you being led into passive righteousness for his namesake, you being given comfort and confidence that the shepherd is committed to your journey and to your good. But here's the kicker in verse five. The table he prepares for you is not just to sustain you, it's to satisfy you. 
me say that one more time. The table, the shepherd doesn't only sustain you at this table. He seeks to satisfy you. David Platt says that this table, this feast is not just for your endurance in the middle of your opposition, but friends, it's for your enjoyment. That in the middle of the hardest days, in the middle of the most difficult, darkest moments, God prepares a table for you not just to give you a big calorie intake. He prepares a table for you so that you might enjoy and be satisfied in him. And so here's what that means. Here's what that means. In the very face of suffering and hardship and trial and affliction and struggle or trouble we face. And notice that the Lord does not discriminate. He doesn't say only the brokenness of this world. No, we totally can understand that we might contribute to this suffering and trial and hardship. Like David has a long history of contributing to his own affliction. If you don't know his stories uh, of making some bad choices, some terribly bad choices and the Lord restoring him. I don't know if it's David's sin or the world's brokenness, but God doesn't differentiate or discriminate. He says that no matter what, in the face of trouble, in the face of trial, in the face of suffering, in the face of affliction, there will be a table for you, a laborsome work done for you, a chair pulled out for you that you might dine and feast and drink deeply and eat fully in intimacy with your Lord. And you know what that means? That means Marky Cancer Center has tables set up. That means Marquee Cancer Center has tables set up for people that are having their hardest weeks. That means the funeral homes scattered across town or the state or the nation have tables set up for the hardest days of loss or tragedy or death. That means that on the, as Morgan set up here and said, that means on the days where you're wondering, why God? Why can't this happen to us? Why can't we have what we desire? There's tables set up for you. I could go around the room and in fact, know many of the stories in this room and, and it, or could scroll through our group me of prayer requests, um, some of which have been answered in ways that we did not desire. And you could show table after table after table. And if we pass the mic and if we got the courage, we could stand up and profess that in the midst of the hardest days where there's more month than there is money, where sin and shame tell you you don't deserve where grief and loss seem to be the only reality, where depression lays you low, there is a table for you. And there's a God that pulls out a seat and expects you to join him and dine. In fact, Luke 15, the prodigal son story, is literally this. It's Psalm 23, 5. That the, the lost son who thought that his sustenance was in the same pen as pigs came home and dad didn't say, oh, tough luck. You've made your decisions. You've made your bed. You have to lie in it. He says, no, no, no. Like, I want to greet you with a royal feast that you don't deserve. There's a table for you and there's a table for me. Where has God prepared a table that you've set at? That's a good question to ponder in our worship today. Where's the table that you found yourself dining at in a season of difficulty, in a season of struggle, in the face of opposition, in the face of trial or tribulation? What's the table that you've dined at? And how do you worship God from that place of provision? And just to remind you, these tables that the Lord sets up for us, they aren't for our nutrition. They're for our enjoyment and our intimacy with him. So we can talk at length about what our shepherd host does. 
that he prepares a table, that he anoints our head with oil, that our cup overflows. But we would be missing it if we didn't say, why does he do this? Why? I think there's a number of reasons. I'm going to give you a few. One is so that we know who satisfies. If we're not careful, we will try to be satisfied from every source other than Jesus. And if you're anything like me, you have testimony that those sources don't satisfy like they promise. In fact, I remember, I go back and sometimes I even re-listen to it. I remember um, a sermon that Brian preached as we were in John chapter 7 about like even if you're if you feel like um, you are, you are, you're so thirsty that you might die, it's never the right time to drink bad water. Bad water never helps. Even the person that feels like they're literally about to weather up and die, bad water, poisonous water, unpure water that's not pure doesn't help. We, God sets up tables so that we know he's the one that satisfies. He sets up tables for us. He prepares tables for us so that we worship him. I mentioned earlier, where has he prepared a table for you? Could be recently, could be currently, could even be in your past that invites your worship. Why does he set up a table for us? Because it's part of our story of transformation. We're supposed to see the places. We should have markers in our journey of the places that God has met with us, even in the hard days. At the end of your journey with Jesus, you will have dined at a lot of tables that don't make sense to their surroundings. And so will I. Another reason that he sets up tables for us is for direction. Now, again, I mentioned earlier, there's no discrimination, this opposition. I have at times created opposition for myself. I've created suffering for myself. I've created affliction for myself. And when the Lord prepares that table for me in the midst of that, you know what he often does? He redirects me. He redirects me. He says, come sit, eat. Now, when you get up, walk a different way. After you've spent time with me, after you've enjoyed my presence, walk in a different direction. And so sometimes these tables are set up to redirect us. These tables are set up so that we will have confidence in the future. Journeys that are overcast by the scenery of death, just like the psalmist says, are ahead of us, friends. There are tough roads ahead. And I feel like this psalm runs parallel with Romans chapter 5, as, as we'll read on the screen. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character produces hope. And this hope does not put us to shame. I memorized this verse when I was a kid in another translation, and it didn't say it this way. It says, and this hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured, overflowing into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. His, the, the hope of the tables that lie ahead don't disappoint us as we are filled to overflow with God's love. We are both people that are satiated by him and satisfied in him. So I don't know what you're facing currently. I don't know what you've been facing. Some of you I do. I don't know what's coming your way, but here's what I do know. That no matter what your journey with Jesus looks like, no matter any of the suffering or hardship that lies ahead, there's going to be a table for you in the midst of that, that the Lord not only prepares exquisitely, but pulls out a chair and says, please sit for as long as you'd like. Don't just treat that table as a resource for your nutrition. Recognize that it's a place for your enjoyment, not your endurance, but your enjoyment, not your sustenance, but your satisfaction. And as we kind of come to the conclusion of our time today, we come to another table. And I know that we're not the most liturgical church. Some of you 
probably currently Googling the word liturgical because you don't even know what that means. It's like, well, what is this? We're not the most like liturgical church, but today, uh, in a sign of what it means to come to the table, we're going to offer a liturgy together. Um, there's a book that's written called Every Moment Holy. And I don't know if you've seen that before, but it's a book that gives like basically a kind of a framework for worship in everyday stuff of life. And they have one actually uh, over feasting with friends. And as I thought about it, it's like, you know, I don't ever feast with friends at a table more than I feast at this one. I don't ever feast with my friends more than I feast at this table that, rec- that represents Christ's blood, his body and blood broken and shed for us. And so we're going to do something that we don't do often. And that's we're going to read together um, a liturgy that invites us to the Lord's table today. Now, I don't know whether, what your conviction is on taking communion. We offer this every single week. Uh, I want you to know that when we come to this table, this is for the believer in Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus, then we have something even better for you. And that's Christ himself to offer you. But if you are a believer in Jesus and you want to practice this together, then you can come to the table um, at, at the conclusion or as we start this song and, and take, eat, and remember and participate in the kingdom. And some of you might say, no, nah, I'd rather do that with my family. And you do that at home another time or, or you do that, you know, around a dinner table. I don't know what that looks like. But, but, but as we head to the table of the Lord together, we're going to read and recite this together as a confession and as an anthem of his goodness and his provision for us. Can everybody see that okay? All right, I'll, I'll read the leader part and then we will all join in in the bold lettering. Feasting at the family together. Feasting of the family together. Together joyfully is indeed a serious affair for feasting and all enjoyments gratefully taken are at their heart acts of war. In celebrating this feast, we declare that evil, death, suffering, and loss, sorrow, and tears will not have the final word. But the joy of fellowship and the welcome and comfort of friends, new and old, and the celebration of these blessings of food and drink and conversation and laughter are the true evidences of things eternal and are the first fruits that the great glad joy that is to come and that will be unending So let our feast this day be joined to those sure victories secured by Christ. Let it be to us now a delight and a glad foretaste of his eternal kingdom. Bless us, O Lord, in this feast. Bless us, O Lord, as we linger over our cups and over this table laden with good things, as we relish the delights of varied texture and flavor, of aromas and spices, of dishes prepared as acts of love and blessings, of sweet delights made sweeter by the communion of saints, may this shared meal and our pleasure in it bear witness against the artifice and deceptions of the prince of darkness that would blind this world to our hope. May it strike at the root of the lie that would drain life of meaning and feasting with friends the world of joy and of suffering of redemption. May this feast fall like a great hammer blow against the brittle night, shattering the gloom, reawakening our hearts, stirring our imaginations and focusing our vision on the kingdom of heaven that is to come, on the kingdom that is promised on the kingdom that is already indeed among us. For the resurrection of all good things has joyfully begun.
May this feast be an echo of that great supper of the Lamb, a foreshadowing of the great celebration that awaits the children of God. Where two or more of us are gathered, O Lord, there you have promised to be, and here we are, and so here are you. Take joy, O King, in this our feast. Take joy, O King, all will be well. All will be well. Nothing good and right and true will be lost forever. All good things will be restored. Feast and be reminded. Take joy, little flock. Take joy. Let battle be joined. Let battle be joined. Now you who are loved by the Father, prepare your hearts and give yourself wholly to this celebration of joy. So the glad company of, to the glad company of saints, to the comforting fellowship of the Spirit, and to the abiding presence of Christ, who is seated among us, both as our host and as our honored guest, and still yet as our conquering King. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, take and eat. Take this feast and take delight. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for today. And as we move into a time of response and reflection on your word this morning and through your spirit, um, we ask you to remind us of the places that you've prepared tables for us. We also ask you to give us confidence in the tables that you'll prepare for our future. But Lord, we don't want to miss the table that's in front of us today to take, to eat, to remember, and to celebrate and participate in your kingdom. And so, Lord, as we move to a, to a time of, of worship and confession, may we be a people that confess our great need for a shepherd, but also our great need for a host. It gives us the position of guests that we don't deserve by your grace and by your mercy, and that leads us everlasting to an eternal joy and hope in you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.